Today, we're going to talk about words, what we say. Sound like fun? So if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1. Start in the very beginning. When you read, you... Okay, so here we go. Genesis chapter 1. You ready? Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, And God said, Let there be light. Verse 6, and God said, I'm cutting this part of the verse, so don't call me heretic. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day and the night. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm and the swarms of living creatures Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their... Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Write this down if you like to take notes. The creative nature of God always manifests through speech. The creative nature of God always manifests through speech, you know... And then he says, here, feel the connection here. Let us make man in our image. What is the image of God? Certainly that he's triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we are, body, soul, and spirit. There's all that connection. I understand that. But maybe there's another connection. Maybe there's another connection in the image that we were created in. If we have a God that speaks and things become. So, you know, we live in a culture of talkers, right? We live in an absolute crazy culture of talkers. And we glorify people that say things that actually happen, right? Like people that make bold statements and then they actually come to pass. Like probably most of us were not alive at this time. But in 1961, John F. Kennedy stood before a number, a number, a number of members of the government, right? And he declares that in 10 years we will land a man on the moon. Right. And the whole world went nuts. They were like, wow, this guy's going to, you know, we're believing that in 10 years. And shortly after that, it was like six or seven years later. Guess what? Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. If you believe that, of course. But, uh, you know, then in 1969, right, in the same, you know, same era of time, Joe Namath, the, the Jets are playing the Colts in the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, Joe Namath, is anybody alive? Remember this? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. <laughs> Two people. But uh, yeah, Joe Namath in the Super Bowl declares, we, I guarantee that we will win this game. And the whole play, you know, the world just goes crazy. Like Namath guarantees Hollywood Joe says he's going to, you know, guarantee a victory. And of course they did. And his, his status in the world just went to like galactic levels, you know, because he had declared something that actually came to pass. But we live in an entire culture of talkers. Like you look at the most successful, you know, people, typically it's people that are good at talking. Like very often in our culture, we glorify, we make heroes of actors and actresses, right? What are actors and actresses? Well, they're good at pretending like they're somebody that they're not. I mean, that's kind of an admirable trait, isn't it? When you talk about character, boy, you're really good at pretending like you're someone you're not. You know, that's awesome. You're great at that. You know, and we look at all these different people. Oprah Winfrey. <gasps> Don't say anything bad about Oprah, Justin. <laughs> the spiritual mother of the nation, <laughs> for better or for worse. But anyways, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, she became, I think she grew up in like the ghetto of Missouri and became wildly successful. Wildly successful. Why? Because she's good at talking. 
I mean, that's not the only reason, but she's good at talking. I mean, she's a talk show host, right? Somebody like Rush Limbaugh, who's made millions of dollars just talking and talking and talking. And if you don't like those, maybe somebody like Adam Sandler. I mean, he's not the most attractive man you've ever seen, right? But he is funny, or Mike Myers, you know what I'm saying? It's not their physique that's getting them on the screen. There's something else that propels them, and it's their ability to talk. And so we glorify sarcasm, wit, people that are sharp, people that can communicate well, right? When I was a little kid, five years old, six years old, I'm sorry, I lived in this little neighborhood in North Haven, Connecticut, and there was this new kid that moved in. He was four. He was a lot younger than me, and uh, two years, which is a big deal in those days. And his name was Pablo. His probably name still is Pablo, I would assume, but... Um, <laughs> But it was Pablo at the time as well. And so Pablo, um, you know, moves into the neighborhood and he moved straight from Argentina and barely knew any English. And so we start communicating with Pablo, me and my other friends. You know, we ride to his house on our bikes. And we're like, hey, man. What? And he's like, hi, I am Pablo. You know, not too much English. And then we said, wait, you speak Spanish? And he was like, you yeah, see. Sí. And we were like, you know. Teach us some swear words in Spanish. I mean, that was the first thing we wanted to know. Maybe you did this as a kid too. Like, come on, man. How do you say, how do you say, how do you say, you know, and we're like trying to write it down like all crazy, you know, because we were six years old and we're like, okay, I'm, let me practice. And then we're saying, and we're like, dude, we are awesome. Nobody else knows what we're saying, but we're saying something bad, you know, like, and there's this propensity, this desire inside the human psyche to say bad things. Why? I don't know. Why do we so desperately desire to say bad things? I found this study from Penn State, right? And they, they, they actually uh, analyzed different um, races, ages, ethnicities, and different people from different places. And they just said, how many words can you write down that express emotion? And so they would write down all these words, as many as they could think of, that expressed emotion. And they did it all different cultures, different ages. And they found that in all different cultures, in all different ages, there was this consistency, and the consistency was that about 50% of all the words people could think of when they think of emotion were negative. And about 30% were positive and 20% were neutral. So what's the point I'm trying to say? The point I'm trying to say is that it's easier to be negative. Negative just comes naturally, doesn't it? I mean, saying something negative is so effortless. It's like, it just comes out. It's just easy. How are you doing? Oh, dude. You don't even want to know how I'm doing, bro. This thing broke and this thing stinks and oh my gosh. And it's so easy just to jump into that speech, right? And is there something better for the body of Christ? Is there something greater that God has to offer? So here's a cultural trend that I've seen. That's a result of a culture of talkers. The trend is that we often take very casually things that are sacred and take very sacred things things that are casual. In other words, when God speaks about our lips and how valuable and important our words can be, we treat that casually and we just let our lips run. But then things that absolutely mean nothing, we treat very sacredly. Like yesterday, I was preparing for this message a couple, like last week and uh, thinking about all these different things. And I have an iPhone. Does anybody else have an iPhone? A couple of us? Yeah, you know, I mean, they're pretty cool. Oh, my mom just texted me. Mom, I'm preaching right now. I can't really... Uh, Answer your, come mow my, come, uh, you know, do my lawn or my, not my lawn. Can't get to the lawn. My, uh, my driveway. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I have an iPhone and it was, I think it was Friday night that, uh, I went to a mustache bash. Did anybody else go to a mustache bash? Yeah. A lot of us did. A lot of fun pictures to come very soon. But, uh, I get home from the mustache bash and I'm like trying to get my phone to turn on and it won't turn on. 
And I mean, this is like a critical moment in the life of any few person that has a has an iPhone. You know, I, the thing will not turn on. And so I'm pushing. I'm trying to update it. I'm trying to do all these things and I can't get it to turn on. It's dead for a whole night. I didn't have my iPhone. Like I didn't even know how I was going to wake up in the morning since my iPhone wakes me up in the morning. You know, bling, 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 wake up. Just, you know, like I mean, like I didn't realize how dependent I was on this thing, you know, but I'm pre- practicing for or preparing for this message. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, I can't, you know, I can't uh, I can't treat this thing as sacred. But so often, of course, my, my wife supernaturally touched it and it came back on. So I don't know how that happened, but thank you, wherever you are, wife, um, for healing the phone. But, uh, but you know what I realized? That we treat sacredly things that really should not be treated sacredly. Like, have you ever had something spill on your new jeans? And you're, like, ticked? And all of a sudden, what is sacred, your lips, is compromised because what is not sacred, your jeans... You follow what I'm saying? Or maybe somebody rips your new shirt or you, you, know, you get like sauce on or something. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. And all of a sudden you're freaking out about something that is totally not sacred, a piece of cloth. And now something that is sacred, your tongue is compromised. Do you see how this works in our culture? I mean, it's a disease. It might be your hair. You know, somebody messes up your hair for those of us, you know. A couple of us are, you know, whatever, lacking some hair, but it doesn't matter. You know, so if you're not, you know, if you have this really nice hair and somebody, you know, messes it up and you're like, dude, my hair. And all day you're self-conscious about your hair after that because, you know, it got messed up and you just treated sacredly something that is totally not sacred and you compromised your lips. So I want to try to get into what does the scripture have to say about this? And, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I have a lot of issues that God is still massaging in me with my tongue. And I have to be honest that I've had a lot of life change, too. There's been significant transformative life change over the last few years, a lot like Steph was talking about. But I find that, uh, you know, still, you know, using your words to pull somebody else down, using your words to make yourself feel more important, using your words to not build others up. I often find that I'm just in neutral. Like I look at the end of the day, and this is a good challenge for you if you want to write something down, but a good challenge is for a week, look at how every day before you go to bed, write down who did you encourage that day. And you'll be amazed at how often you are not using your words to actually benefit others, but instead just using them in neutral. You know, like I didn't really insult anybody, but I didn't really encourage anybody. So let's look at some scripture. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 18, and I believe the Lord wants to reveal a really profound truth to us this morning. Proverbs chapter 18, many of us have heard this. I'm just going to talk about the first half of the verse. If you've been in church for a while, you probably know this verse. It says this, it says, death and life are in the power of the, come on, everybody say it like you actually care. Death and life are in the power of the, try it with me, the whole thing. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? Death and life. This is a huge, huge landmark statement. What he's saying is that God has put inside of you the power of death and life in your tongue. Remember the Bible says God said, God said, God said, God said. He made the birds. He made the mountains. He made all things from his mouth. He spoke it and it was, right? And then he says, let us make man in our image. What was the image of God that he was implanting in man? It was this ability to create with our lips no other creature on planet earth can do that same divine ability create with the words that they say actually cause life or death to come to pass just by what we say so write this down this is kind of the big idea for this morning i want to give it to you in the beginning and then i want to show you how it plays out in our character god embedded in our dna the divine ability to create and kill with our words god embedded in our dna let this sink in Because this is a radical idea. 
Oftentimes we think of creating and we think of like, oh, he took some clay and he made a statue or, oh, she took a paintbrush or they took a guitar. And those are all creative outlets. But oftentimes what we're doing is we're kind of just rearranging the different elements that we have into a new form. But when you speak, of course, you are rearranging words into a new form, but you're doing something else. You're actually creating life or killing with your mouth. You can actually speak something and it comes alive or you speak something else and it comes to death. And just think about this idea, the responsibility that comes with this tongue that's sitting in your mouth, this divine, outrageous responsibility and also the potential of what happens if you and I just get a hold of this thing. Take a second before I give you the the meat of the, the message here. Do some personal inventory right now. How's my speech? Just take a second, because I know sometimes we're in a church service and it's like always go, go, and you don't actually stop and apply it. Just think for a second. How's my speech? Everybody quiet, just for 30 seconds maybe. How is your speech? How is your speech? All right, that's enough time. You can think about it more later. James chapter 1. We're going to talk about this idea of how our speech relates to our character. Because this is a huge idea. James chapter 1, verse 26. It's going to be up on the screen if you want to follow with me. Bam, there it is. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless crazy statement talk about like a baseball bat to the face like hey check this out if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart some people are thinking to yourself oh good because i'm not religious i have a relationship with jesus you know like that whole play let me just clarify this this word religious it means if anyone fears god or worships god that's what it means this is what the word religious means so in other words you could say if anyone thinks he's a god worshiping god fearing person and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart this person's form of worship and honor is worthless his form of worship is worthless okay so let's pull apart this whole passage and i want to pick different pieces out and try to help us get this today and apply it to our life. Does this sound fun? So the first thing I want to look at here is deceives his own heart, okay? You can actually, check this out, you can trick yourself. This is a scary reality. You can trick yourself into thinking that you're a follower of God. You can trick your own heart. But what he's saying is, don't, 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 don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by what you think is religious. You say, well, man, I know all the songs. I go to church every week. Man, I was born in church. Like, I know about this. I prayed the prayer. I came up front. I filled out the card. Man, I even do all types of things. Like, I speak with the word of God. I read it every day. I know all these different things. And he's saying, that's great, but none of those are the litmus test to decide whether or not you're actually a follower of Jesus. What he's saying is, all those things are nice. Wonderful, fabulous. None of them give you actual credit before God. The one thing that you should be looking at is has it impacted the way that you talk? And if it's impacted the way that you talk, well, then your religion probably has some substance substance to it. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying that your tongue will prove your heart. Deceives his own heart. I'm going to take a couple uh, passages uh, away and we'll go back to James in a minute. But I want to try to expand on this idea of deceiving your heart. So look at uh, Matthew 12 with me. If you have a Bible, you can write it down. I'm going to read Matthew 12, uh, 34 to 37. Again, it's going to be up there on the screen. So here we go. Let's read some of the words of Jesus. 
He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure, stay with me here, brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account. This is one of the scariest passages in the entire Bible. People will give an account for every careless word they speak. If I had to define the language of our culture... It's probably careless words more than anything else, isn't it? Just careless words, just like, dude, my, my mouth is just running. We'll give an account for every careless word they speak. And then he just, he just finished it with this. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Let me try to show you this in a practical way here. Bam. All right. There is a divine connection between your heart and in your mouth, okay? Now, the interesting thing is this connection is often not seen, right? It's almost invisible. You can't sometimes feel it. You can't sometimes see it. Sometimes there, it, it feels like, no, 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 no. There's no connection. I'm just trying to control my mouth. And that's what people do. Listen, now that I'm a Christian, I'm trying to just watch my swears, right? I was around this guy the other day. Not a Christian guy. And anyways, there's always this awkward moment when I tell them that I'm a pastor, you know. I'm still kind of getting used to that because I haven't usually said that. But, uh, but I say to him, you know, we're talking. He's like, oh, well, what do you do? Because he was like a Marine, something or other. And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I swear it a minute ago. It's like, you know, and I said to him, I said, you know, I've heard that word before. <laughs> it didn't really bother me that much. It's okay. You know, but he was like, oh, and then every time he was like, what the? Friggin' man. I mean, like, you know, he would always kind of change it the last minute to try to, like, make himself feel better. And see, what, he, what the problem was is he was thinking, man, if I can just control my speech, if I can just change the way I talk, people will think something different of me, right? What he was saying was, I'm trying to fix my words. And a lot of people do this. Listen, now that I'm a Christian, man, I can't keep saying, I can't keep doing. And you try to change this, but you realize that this has never changed. And your problem is not a speech problem. Your problem is a heart problem. Out of the abundance, there's a well, there's a channel, and it explodes up out of the heart, into the mouth, through the tongue, and into the world. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a divine connection between the two. And so if we, as people of character, are ever going to change our lips, guess what we have to deal with? This isn't a hard question. Guess what we have to deal with? Yeah, good. Uh, We got that one. Yeah, we have to change our heart, right? And so what does he tell us? He says that there's this treasure. He says that there's this treasure. He says, out of the good person, out of his good treasure. And I looked up that word in the Greek, and basically it means storehouse. It means a place where you keep or collect things. Do you have a place where you keep or collect things? I have this little box next to my bed, on my side of the bed. Now, as a man, I'm married. I have two kids. There are very few places in my home that I can call mine. Okay? I I built this little spot in my basement and called it my man cave, and then two girls now live in my basement. And so it smells like, you know... Vidal Sassoon down there all the time. Like, it doesn't smell like a man cave anymore. And, you know, it's just like one of those things where, like, as a man, there's very few places I can run and escape in my house. I'm thinking about setting up camp in my garage just so I can have somewhere. They'd be like, no, let's put up sports posters or something. You know, let's feel like a man. And so anyways, I have this box. And this is, the box is the fulfillment of all things man in my bedroom. It's all I have, okay? And at the end of every day, I open up the box and I take all the schmack out of my pockets. You know, you have the schmack too, don't you? Like you just take it out and you got all different types of things in there, right? Like so, you know, I have mints. I'm, a, I'm an Altoids guy, you know, so I always have mints in my pocket, which is, I think, a good idea for all of us as a church. 
You know what I'm saying? There's nothing worse than falling over in the power of not the Holy Spirit, right? Because of uh, the funkiness of somebody's breath. And so, you know, so uh, I have mints in my pocket, but then I also have like movie tickets if I went to the movies or receipts or whatever, you know, and I have all this, this stuff in my pocket change, which I hate change. I think we should just do away with all change, you know, but, um, but I have change in my pocket. And at the end of the day, I, I kind of scrape out the lint and the change and the mints and I put it all in my hand and I put it in my box. Right. And then the box gets closed till the next day and it gets full after a while of all this stuff. Do you have a place like that? Do you have a place like that? Or do you just keep it all in your pockets and just wear the same pants the next day? Is that what you do? Either way, you know, I don't know what you do, but but, uh, you know, some are like, yeah, dude, that's exactly what I do. But, uh, you know, that's what I do. That's my storehouse. And what he's saying is you can learn a lot about a person by day, by day, by day, by day. What's getting into their heart. In other words, and we're going to look at this next week when we talk about integrity. But in other words, your heart is like this constant storehouse. And every day you're piling stuff into it. And it's either positive stuff or it's negative stuff. But either way, it's building up and building up. And it's just filling up like that little thing next to my bed. And after a while, it starts coming out. And when it starts coming out, it shows the substance of what's been getting put in. Mine smells good because it's mints, right? So out of the treasure, and evil people have this same treasure. Out of the treasure, an evil person brings forth evil. So your problem is not your mouth. By your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned is what he says. But what he's not saying is you earn your salvation by what you say. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if your heart has been changed by the rebirth, the regeneration by the Holy Spirit, your heart will begin to actually inform your mouth differently. And if your mouth begins to speak, it will show evidence of a transformed heart. And then by your words, you'll be justified or by your words, you'll be condemned. In other words, you're changed by the regeneration of your heart. You're saved by the new birth of Christ coming to dwell in you by faith. But that new birth has evidence. And what we're finding here is that the evidence is the tongue. You staying with me here? So go back to James. Nobody said yes. That was kind of discouraging. Are you staying with me here? Yes. Oh, good. Wonderful. Go back to James. Go back to James because this is huge. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless, devoid of force, truth, success, or results. This person's religion is worthless. It holds nothing. You might be here this morning and you know all the Christian answers, but you gossip and you lie And you backbite. And what I'm telling you is all of your Christian answers are worth nothing if it's not a changed heart and a transformed mouth. And as a community of people, I'm going to tell you that those who talk and blab and those who lie, those who trick. I tell people on our staff all the time. I say, listen, there are many forgivable things here. If you are lying, you won't be here very long. I don't care if they're tiny little lies or if they're huge, gigantor lies. You will not be a part of leadership long because you cannot build anything if a person is deceiving with their lips. The kingdom of God is not built on love. It's built on trust. And trust is built through truth, back and forth. And so this is huge for our community. Huge for our community. So what do we have to do? Well, what does the scripture tell us to do? What do we have to do? If anyone does not bridle his tongue. Okay. Oh, go back. Bam! Isn't she lovely? Do we have any, do we have any horse lovers here? It's okay. Come on. Come on. Put up your hand. Put up your hand. A few horse. There's always a few horse lovers. You know, you know the horse lovers? Do you remember the girl in high school who was a horse, horse girl? I'm not hating on the horse girl. I'm just saying. She, not that she was a horse. She just liked horses, right? 
She was not, but she usually had like super long hair and like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Come on, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. There is just like a culture built around the horse girl, you know, and it's cool. I mean, whatever, you know, there's different types of people. I'm not hating on the horse girl. And, you know, because I'm giving a talk on speech and edifying, I'm not going to make fun of Madison right now. But Madison's mom is a horse lady, woman, and she has a horse named serenity you know and it's this nice horse in new hampshire and madison is not a horse girl for the record okay i often times rag on her although that may end after i talk on this but anyways you know i i just uh she's not but i don't know anything about horses so when i started studying this bridle you know that word is the word that they use for the thing that goes on the horse's head so i started asking madison how does the whole operation work because even though she's not a horse girl she's informed of the horse girl ways okay All right. And so I asked her and I said, how does this whole thing work? And she said, well, you got to put it in its mouth and then it straps around and you have to like it, it clicks behind the ears. Right. It like connects behind the ears. And it, you, once you get it on, it's got to connect all the way in the back of the head. And then you obviously have the reins and you can kind of control it back and forth. So I did a little research and I found that there's, you know, there's a thing called a bit that goes in the horse's mouth. Right. Most of us know this. It's a piece of metal. It goes in the mouth of the horse for all horse people in the room. Forgive me if I jack this up a little bit. One thing is true because I found it on the Internet. It said this. It said that the bit, I know there's this whole bitless phenomena happening now where they don't have bits, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a normal bridle. Uh, the bit, check this out. Look at how God speaks through horses' mouths. The bit must sit. That wasn't supposed to rhyme, but it did. The bit <laughs> must sit on the top of the tongue in order for it to be effective. If the bit ever slips to the bottom underneath the tongue, you have no control of your horse. Everything else is in place but you have no control of your horse. And I began to pray about this. And I said, Lord, what is the bit that you're asking us to put in our mouths? And I felt the Holy Spirit just speak to me. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, I really believe this is the word of the Lord for us as a community, for us as a people. I felt the Holy Spirit just speak to me that the bit that is supposed to be in the mouths of men and women who love me is the glory of God. That's the bit. And it always sits on top of my tongue. It sits on top of my tongue. And when the glory of God dictates what I say and don't say, then I am led by his spirit into what he wants for my life. Are you catching this today? Does the glory of God sit on top of your tongue? What does that mean? It means that in all things I do, I seek to glorify him with my words. And if I filter all of my speech through that one lens, I can begin to communicate as God would have me communicate. I no longer live for myself, God. I live for your glory. Remember, we talked about this humility, seeing God over me and seeing God in me. The glory of God rests on my tongue. And when it does, my speech is the way he would have it be. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at just two more passages in the Bible kind of bouncing off of James. Ephesians chapter 4, it says this in verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building others up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What's he saying here? He's saying... The question you need to be asking yourself is, does my speech glorify Jesus? Does my speech glorify Jesus? And I'm telling you that there is nothing. We are trying by grace through faith to cultivate here. Some of you are visiting and you're just kind of getting the first taste of what's happening here. We are trying by faith, not in our striving, to cultivate a community like I've never seen before in my lifetime. To cultivate a community of believers that actually look and identify with the New Testament church. That's what we're trying to cultivate here. We're trying to cultivate a supernatural community of people that carry the substance of real Christian living. 
That's what we're trying to develop. That's what we're believing God to develop. And what I'm telling you is we'll go no farther than our tongues. We'll go no farther than our speech. No corrupting talk. Are you a gossiper? Are you complaining? Because what I'm telling you is that kills community. It kills community. All right, so there's the negative side. But there's a positive side to the tongue. In your speech, in your mouth, death and life, right, are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. So we realize that we can actually kill people with our speech, but we can also empower people just like God created the earth. We can actually create with our mouth. Crazy idea. An idea that culture has manipulated in many ways, but an idea that's biblical. See, your tongue, check this out, was created to create. That's what your tongue was created to do. Your tongue was created to create. You know, I remember uh, a couple years ago, we were ministering, we were leading worship at a camp uh, in New Hampshire somewhere. And it was like this, you know, high school camp, all these high school students. And like, it was, it was rough. I mean, I don't think a single one of them was a Christian, you know. And so we're singing these songs, we love you, God, we love you. And they're all like this. Well, I don't love God, man. I'm not raising my hands. I'm way too cool for this. And this whole attitude was, was, you know, just totally permeated the group of maybe 200 students, you know. And so we're leading worship, and day one goes by, and nothing's happening. And day two goes by, and nothing's really happening. And there's this one girl that my eyes just landed on, and I saw her, and I knew, man, God has something to say to her. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord began to give me a real revelation about this girl. I didn't know her from anything, but I saw in my mind's eye a picture. It was a picture of her in the backseat of a car at a gas station while two people in the front seat were screaming at each other. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, she has a gifting to be a teacher with young kids. Spoke it to my Holy, by the Holy Spirit in me, right? And so I had this impression. I'm like, huh. And so, again, nobody's worshiping. At the end of this, this time of music, I go up to this girl. I said, hi, I don't know you. My name's Justin. She said, my name's Emily. You know, like junior, senior, one of the more popular girls, right? And I say, you know, I don't know if this means anything to you. But as we were worshiping, I had this picture in my mind. And it was this picture, and I explained it to her, and the girl starts to cry. And, and I said, I feel like a lot of those words that were said in that car really, really hurt your life. And God wants to heal that thing in your heart. And this girl starts weeping just weeping. And then I start telling her about, I said, do you have, you know, like a real gifting with small kids? And she's like, yeah, I want to be a kindergartner teacher, kindergarten teacher. And I said, you know, God told me that that's something that's in your heart that he wants to bless. It's a gifting. What was I doing with my mouth? I was just speaking. I was prophesying over this girl. I was speaking life. And this girl began to absolutely weep. Later that day, her camp counselor came up to me. And at first I thought I was going to get in trouble. And she was like, because it was kind of a more conservative camp. And she, she comes to me and she goes, I don't know what you said to that girl. And I'm like, oh, crud. She's going to punch me in the face or something. She said, but that all she wants to do is pray and read the Bible today. And I'm like, oh, well, that's good. You know? and, and she's like something. You know, the next time we got in worship, that girl was like this. Tears running down her face, just worshiping God, totally doesn't care. And then all of a sudden, another kid starts. And all of a sudden, another kid starts. All of a sudden, the entire culture of that group started to change as people began to express themselves in worship. And the presence of the Lord had access and power in that moment because one person opened up their heart and one person spoke life with their tongue. Look at Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. This is a really cool passage in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. It says this, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught 
In other words, the tongue of a disciple, some translations say, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. What do I want to develop here? What do I want this culture to be? I want this culture amongst our community to be people that realize that my character is displayed by the things that I say and that God has put in my mouth this ability to either speak life or speak death. And I'm going to sustain the weary one with a word. I'm going to speak one word and it is going to change that person's entire life. I'm going to speak one word and their entire world is going to be transformed for the glory of God. I can speak one thing, mom, to my kids and that one word will shape their destiny. I will speak one word to my boss, one word of encouragement, one word of it, you know, just, you know, encouragement. And they're just blown away. Two days ago, we went hiking and I was, we were hiking, uh, you know, up, um, sleeping giant. And we passed this couple. You've got to have ears to hear friend. And we're going to talk about integrity and how integrity cultivates the heart so that you have ears to hear the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that next week, though. A little uh, plug for next week. But anyways, you know, so I'm walking on this path, you know, and I'm walking uh, with everybody else. There's about 10 or 15 of us walking up uh, the mountain, sleeping giant. A bunch of us went hiking. And as I'm walking up the mountain, we passed this couple with a little kid, right? Two people, Jamie and Marissa. And their, their boy, I didn't catch his name. He's a little kid. And so anyways, we passed. We say, how's it going? I looked in the guy's eyes, you know, this moment, like the Matrix moment, you know, I was like, you know, and I saw him. And as I saw him, I felt the Holy Spirit to say, you need to pray for them. No, it wasn't like that. I was just like, I was just normal, walking normal, you know. But I was like. And so everybody keeps walking. And I just turn around. And, uh, you know, I wrestled for about five seconds. God, I don't want to pray. Okay, fine. And so I go and I pray for him. And I, say, I just said to him, excuse me, um, I feel like there's something I'm supposed to pray for you right now. And I, I'm a pastor. I know it's weird. I just walked up to you the whole night. But I, I'm just wondering if, if you would be willing to let me pray for you. And the, the woman starts to get tears in her eyes. And she says, you know, um, we've been trying to have kids. And uh, we have our one son. And we've had a couple of miscarriages. And there's just, um, we're just really, you know, just really hurting is basically what she said. And so right there I stopped and I just prayed for him. And they were like, wow, thank you. Thank you. And then I had to run like 10 minutes to catch everybody else because they didn't even stop and wait for me. They just totally went on without me. But, but I ran back to him and I caught up to him and I was like, <laughs> you know, my legs are all itchy because I never run and I'm getting all sweaty, you know, and the whole deal. But, but it was worth it because I got to just speak life into somebody for one week at the end of every day. Write down, who did I speak life into? Who did I speak life into? And if you sit down at the end of the day before you go to bed and you say, I spoke life into no one, then you just wasted your day, friend. You wasted your day. It doesn't always have to be this supernatural word from God. It could just be a, hi, how are you? Boy, that's a really nice looking sweater you have on today. Not hitting on a girl. I'm just saying, you know, like that could be cool. Like you could just sustain someone with encouragement. You could begin to speak and prophesy life over someone. The other day I was sitting with a guy and we talked for like 40 minutes. Another Christian. And I asked myself at the end of the conversation, what did we talk about? We talked about work. We talked about hobbies. We talked about a TV show. We didn't talk about Jesus at all. And I thought to myself, that was such a waste of time. I mean, it's not that I don't care about his work. I don't care about his TV show that he likes or whatever. But really, really, I had 40 minutes with this guy and I didn't say, what's Jesus doing in your heart? And all of a sudden we could start to speak words to the weary. We could start to change the spirit that a person's walking in. Not like the spirit itself, but like the heart that a person's walking in. I want to be a community that makes dead bones come alive. There's a passage in Ezekiel. You know the story probably if you've been around church. The, the band can come up. We're going to do another song. But uh, there's this passage in Ezekiel. And, uh, you know, it's awesome passage. Because Ezekiel just shows up at this valley of dead people, right? Just all these bones. 
And God says, uh, God says, Ezekiel, do you think these bones could live? And Ezekiel's like, you know. He doesn't say, Ezekiel, try to put those bones back together. Try to just figure out where like the chest pieces are. Put the bones back together, Ezekiel. That's not what he says. He says, speak to the bones, right? He says, speak to the bones and say, bones, come on. And that's Ezekiel begins to do that. And these bones begin to come together and come together and come together. And I began to just, as I was meditating on that passage this week, I started thinking to myself, man, I am telling you, I am telling you that we can actually speak life into a city. 123,000 people in this city. And there's hundreds of 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 them. Hundreds, thousands who do not know Jesus. And you and I have the potential the capability, the capacity to actually speak life into them. Think about that. I mean, think about that. That you can sustain the weary one with a word. You have that power. What are you going to do with it this week? What are you going to do with it? Imagine if 115 people or whatever just sat down and said, you know what? All week we're going to prophesy over people. And all week we're going to put that thing on my tongue so I cannot speak those words of negativity. I'm going to bridle it with the glory of God. And I'm going to say, you know what? If this does not glorify God, if it does not honor and glorify him, I'm going to shut up. And I'll be honest that for me, I used to really, I still do, really like just kind of picking on people. And for a long time, I had to wrestle with this thing where I was like, God, you gave me like this wit and I want to like pick on people. Like I think of all these funny things to say that makes them feel bad that other people will laugh and I should just say some of them because people will like me more if I say them. And I remember, especially in college and around that time in my life, the Lord was like, well, Justin, you got a choice to make. You can have people like you and compromise with your mouth or you can change the world by prophesying life. Which one do you want to do? So I had to give up the pleasure of cutting somebody else down for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. I challenge you. Bridle your tongue, not by your own strength, but by the grace of God. And here's the big thought, okay? The big thought is this. That you can't say, yeah, I'm going to work on that this week. I'm going to try to be better with my mouth. No, you're not, dude. You're not. You're going to forget. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What am I trying to say? You've got to deal with the heart issues. The reason you're making fun of somebody is so that you can feel better about yourself. That's a heart issue. That's a, I'm not finding my satisfaction in the fact that Jesus loves me. It's a heart issue. The reason that you're gossiping is because you want to have something to say. Or maybe there's some other motive, but it's a motive in the heart that is unfulfilled that should be met in Christ. And until you deal with that heart motive, you might be able to trick people. This is what God said in the scripture. He said, you know what? Their words, they say they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. You want nothing to do with that. Because it's not an issue just of what you say. It's an issue of what's happening in your heart. Blessed, check this out. This is crazy. This is a free one, okay? They're all free, really. But blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they'll see God. And Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. Your heart has eyes. We're going to talk about more of this next week. But your heart has eyes. And you've got to be pure in heart if you're ever going to see God. And then out of that purity will flow prophecy. And when I speak of prophecy, I'm not talking just about like, you know, what we know is 2011 prophecy. I'm talking about bold declarations that change the atmosphere. That's what it is.